Well, we are in a series entitled uh, Toxic. It's a series about forgiveness, and it's as much a series about forgiveness as it is the danger of not forgiving and how that can become incredibly toxic in our lives. And um, as I was chewing on how to begin this message today, um, I was reminded of um, a film and a clip uh, that for me has, has stood in my mind as I've taught about forgiveness in the past, as I've experienced it myself, um, because it tells us the truth, that forgiveness is not quick, that it is not easy, that it is not simple, and that even well-intentioned Bible-believing followers of Jesus experience the process of forgiveness differently. And that clip comes from an actual event. The Amish call it the happening. And in October of 2006, a very normal morning in a one-room schoolhouse in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, a community was torn apart when a man named Charlie Roberts walked in and opened fire. And on that day, five young girls lost their lives. Uh, The attention of our nation was drawn to that corner of Pennsylvania, and we watched with awe and wonder as the Amish responded, not with revenge, Not with eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, but instead we watched with awe as they chose to forgive that killer. And a few years later, the Lifetime Network, not my favorite network, but but not a bad network, created a film called Amish Grace that tells the story of these families and this moment. And in this clip... um, we see a picture of the very real difficulty presented by forgiveness and how it's not neat and how it's not easy. Watch the screens. One of the reasons I wanted to show that clip is that so many times when I've, I've sat in a setting like this and talked about forgiveness, it's been kind of up here. And when you live in the world of theory, it's easier to make things nicer and neater and simpler and easier And that's not where we live. When you bring up forgiveness, names and faces and experiences and stories come up and they look like this. And nobody needs any more simple, nice and neat Sunday school answers about forgiveness. Because that's not where we live. This week I I was looking for you know, more ideas and more experiences and just exposing myself to um, people who'd experienced forgiveness. And I, I stumbled on this story through the help of a friend. It, it's the event of the Nuremberg trials of the men and the women that were involved in the Holocaust. And there was a man on trial. He's at that point was 93 years old. He was a former death camp clerk. And uh, a woman, a Jewish woman, came to testify, and she had the evidence that would have sentenced him to death. And she forgave him. The records show that the man fainted in the courtroom that day. She said later that she was not only criticized by the other families, but she was called a traitor. And these are her, her words. As long as we understand my forgiveness from my forgiveness, that the victim has the right to be free. You cannot be free from what was done to you 
unless you remove from your shoulder the daily burden of pain and anger and forgive the Nazis, not because they deserve it, but because I deserve it. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the places where we've been hurt and wounded, not so that the person who hurt us and wounded us so they can be free. Because we don't control that. That's between them and God. But we control ourselves. And Christ died that we might be free. And if we remain stuck in bitterness and unforgiveness, we will never taste that freedom for which he gave his life. Because we will remain stuck in that toxic place. In that place of poison and pain. Last week we began this series with this idea that that our ability to give forgiveness is directly related to the forgiveness we've received. And the central idea of this series is that you can't do this in your own power and in your own strength. That when we experience the forgiveness of Jesus that we all need, that we gain the power and strength to forgive other people. Forgiveness is a gift that we can only give when we first received it ourselves. And this week, I've got a, a short central idea that will inform this message, but please don't interpret its length to be equivalent with its simplicity or ease. The big idea for today is this, that forgiven people can forgive. Not that they can forgive easily, not that they can forgive simply, but that it is possible That God forgives us and then he enables us to forgive others. There's a copy of the notes in your handout if you want to follow along. But today we're going to be in a passage of scripture looking at a man who himself struggled to forgive. And that passage is Matthew chapter 18 verses 21 to 35. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, Matthew is one of the four biographies of the life and teaching of Jesus. And Matthew followed Jesus around for three years as one of his closest disciples. And he records this conversation that one of the disciples has with Jesus and then the parable that Jesus tells. And a parable is a a story that's told in order to make a point. And so Jesus is teaching his disciples something that he wants them to understand about forgiveness. It's a little bit of a longer passage, so I hope that you can stick with me. Um, but Because I, I think that there are some really profound truths in here that, that will help us as we move forward in learning how to forgive others, which is our focus today. Here's how the passage begins. Then Peter came up and said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to Peter, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed 10,000 talents. We'll talk about how much that is later, but suffice it to say, it's a huge amount. And since he could not pay this amount, his master ordered him to be sold along with his wife and his children and all that he had and payments to be made toward his debt. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring his master, saying, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master said to the servant, released him and he forgave the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, much smaller amount. And he seized him and he began choking him, saying, pay what you owe. 
So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. But he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And so they went and reported this to the master, all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all of that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. And then Jesus said, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. God, I pray this morning that with the names and the faces and the stories and the experiences that are right in front of us, of the people who've hurt us, that we have struggled to forgive. I pray that you would begin to do the work that only you can do to enable us to do what we've just read is your calling and desire for us. We know that we can't do this without you. In your name we pray, amen. Now this morning we're going to approach this passage a little bit differently than normal. A lot of times when we read the scriptures, we read them in a prescriptive way. Like this person's a good example to follow. And so we model ourselves after what we read in scripture. But one of the things I've learned in my life is sometimes the best lessons, they don't come from good examples, they come from bad examples. Some of you have terrible bosses. And what you need to know is you sometimes can learn more about leading and serving from a bad boss than a good boss. So just start taking notes, you know, on what not to do. And so today we're going to look at this unmerciful servant and not go, let's be like him, but instead let's learn from his mistakes about who God is creating us to be and calling us to be. And so this message is really broken into two parts. First, we're going to look at four attitudes forgiveness creates in us. And then later on, we're going to look at four action steps or action items that we can take. The first attitude that forgiveness creates in us is humility. When we are forgiven, when we experience the forgiveness we've been singing about all morning that we tasted in the the bread and the juice, it humbles us. And yet, in this story that Jesus tells, the unmerciful servant, he struggled to forgive. He struggled to give the man who owed him what he himself had been given. And one of the reasons why was his arrogance and his pride. He saw himself as better than the man who owed him the small debt. And for many of us who struggle to forgive, one of the barriers for us is our arrogance. When we think about the person who hurt us, we struggle to believe that we are the same as them and many of us believe that we're better. And we'll never experience the forgiveness God desires for us as long as we believe that we're better than those who hurt us. Because in fact, we are no better than those who hurt us. And this was a jagged pill for me to swallow this week. Because one of the things I've discovered in preparing all this to teach you is I discovered that I have yet another person I need to forgive. And one of the stumbling blocks for me 
is I think I'm better than them. Now, I'm not excited to tell you this. I'm not excited that this is true. But as I think about what happened in the incident where I was hurt, I think, man, if I was in their shoes, I wouldn't have done that. Or I watch how other people have experienced the same kind of hurt and the same kind of wounding. And I go, man, if I was in the position, I wouldn't have done that. Why do I say that? Because I think I'm a better person than they are. And as long as I'm up here looking down on them with pride and arrogance, I'll never forgive them. See, when, when we experience the forgiveness that comes from Jesus, where we face our own sin and brokenness and realize, you know what? Without that, I'm desperate and I'm hopeless. And until that lowers us off our pedestal back down to planet Earth and I go, you know what? We stand on the same ground before the cross of Jesus. We will never forgive so this isn't a matter of you making yourself more humble. It's accepting the humility that comes when you embrace the mercy and forgiveness of Jesus. It is that forgiveness which is going to humble you. And that's why the unmerciful servant wasn't humbled. Because he didn't get, it didn't sink in what had happened to him. In Ephesians 4, Paul writes these words. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Along with all malice, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. You have to keep that in mind when you're thinking about the person to forgive that you yourself are someone who's been forgiven. The second attitude that humility, that, that forgiveness creates in us after humility is empathy. Forgiveness builds empathy within us. And this was a new awakening for me. This was a new lesson that I learned this week. I'd never thought about the power of empathy until I reread this story. You see, on the surface, this story just seems too ridiculous to be true. If you read it back in the passage, if you have your Bible still open, it says that that first servant owed 10,000 talents. So because I'm not an expert in Greek currency, I went and did some research this week. And I discovered that a talent is equivalent to 20 years of wages for the average worker. Now, I didn't major in math in college, but I do have a calculator. And so, so I did minimum wage times 52. That's one year's wages. Multiply that times 20. That's a talent. Multiply that number by 10,000. And in rough modern terms, the first servant, the unmerciful servant, he owed $4 billion. It's a number so big that most of us can't even comprehend what that would look like. Like, how much of the stage would that take up in hundreds? I mean, we don't even know. It's beyond comprehension. And it, 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 it boggles our mind because we go, how could he have racked up a debt that large? How would the master have let him? Build a debt that large because no matter whether they sold him or his wife or his kids or his kids' kids or his kids' kids' kids or his cousin or his aunt or his buddy, all of them could have been sold and made into indentured servants. All of his stuff could have been placed on, you know, the ancient version of eBay and it still wouldn't have paid for the debt. And yet he was forgiven. And then he leaves and he goes and he, he chokes a man who owes him a hundred denarii. 
which is basically a hundred days wages. We're talking maybe a few thousand dollars, seven or eight or nine. The equivalent of one six hundred thousandth of what he owed. I mean, it's just not even, it's not even close. And yet he won't let that man off the hook. And if you read the passage, one of the things I discovered this week is they use the exact same words. Like, look at this. The top one is the unmerciful servant. He falls on his knees and says, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Goes out and chokes the guy and the guy he's choking says, have patience with me and I will pay you. They say the exact same thing. They ask for the exact same mercy. This man gets it, but he won't give it to him. And the reason why is that he refuses to empathize with the experience of that man until he's willing to stand in that man's shoes. He'll never forgive him. And one of the things that will happen when we experience the forgiveness of God is not only does it humble us and we realize that we're standing on the same ground, is it gives us the ability to stand in that person's shoes and not call what they did right, not call what they did good, but understand a little bit of what it might have been like when they made that choice. See, our temptation when people hurt us is to turn them into monsters, It's to turn them into less than human people. But when we realize that we have been forgiven, we stand in their shoes and we go, you know what? They're human like me. They're broken like me. They're capable of the same kind of destruction that I am. I've hurt people and they've hurt people. Again, none of this is blessing it or calling it good. But when you can empathize with that person and stand in their shoes, you make them human and you can only forgive humans. You can't forgive monsters. And so empathy is a strong and powerful thing, an attitude that enables us to forgive. The third attitude that forgiveness builds in us is mercy. When we are forgiven our heart begins to transform and we begin to have a merciful attitude. See, the truth is, is that both men under the law owed their debts. And those who the debt was owed to, the master and the unmerciful servant, under the law had every right to ask for their debt. They had every right to call the debt to say, you have to pay. But this man, he received mercy. But it didn't sink in, and therefore he couldn't give it. In Jesus' longest sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, which, by the way, if you read it, would be less than 20 minutes. Most of you, if if I preached for less than 20 minutes, you feel like you got shorted, you know? So just, Jesus' shortest one was shorter than 20 minutes. He said these words, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. That passage we read at the end of Matthew 18, 35, Jesus said, if you do not forgive others your sins, you yourself 
will not have your sins forgiven. In the Lord's prayer, it says, Lord, forgive our debtors even as those, even as we've been forgiven. Jesus is always connecting the forgiveness we receive with the forgiveness we give, the mercy we've received with the mercy that we give. And many of us have a hard time with accepting the idea that the person who hurt us gets mercy. Go, that's wrong. We feel like the woman in the, in, the, in, the, in the movie. We go, we feel like it's a betrayal of the person we loved or the person who was hurt. And one of the reasons we struggle is that many of us refuse to give forgiveness because we think it shows that we value accountability. We go, I can't forgive them because if I did, they would not be held accountable. And I want them to be held accountable. And what happens when I forgive them? Does that mean there's no accountability? No, here's the truth. Refusing to forgive means that we're struggling to trust God to do his job. When we refuse to forgive, it shows that we're struggling to trust God to do his job and we trust ourselves more than him. Because for many of you, stepping out to the edge of your trust in God is the place where God's calling you to forgive. Pastor Craig Rochelle said these words, what you fear reveals where you trust God least. And if you go, man, Scott, I'm, I'm genuinely afraid to forgive that person. Is that because you don't trust God there? Now that isn't a statement of condemnation. It's a, it's a question because all of us have borders of our trust. We sing that song, oceans, spirit lead me where that tr my trust is without borders. We all have borders. That that's the extent of which I trust God. And for many of us, giving that person mercy is the edge. And we're not going to step off it. The fourth attitude that forgiveness builds in us is a difficult word, and that word is surrender. See, as we experience the forgiveness of God ourselves, it leads us to surrender our lives. Talk about giving our lives to Jesus, trusting him with our lives, inviting him in. It's this idea of surrender. And in our culture, just broadly, this is a four-letter word. Now, it may have nine letters on here, but we treat it as if it's a four-letter word because we believe that surrender is weakness. When I surrender, it means you're stronger than I am or I don't have the fight. The, the definition of forgiveness we've been operating from in this series is that forgiveness is giving up my pursuit of revenge and trusting God to bring justice in a situation. At its core, forgiveness is surrender. It's letting go of that desire to get even or to hurt them the way they hurt you and trusting God in that place. After I watched that clip from Amish Grace, I, I watched a news story that PBS did on this event on the 10-year anniversary, which was last fall. And they went and they interviewed people and they, they told parts of the story that, that were untold. And one of the things they talked about was the fact that in the days after the shooting, Financial donations flooded in to Lancaster County from all over the country. Because average Joes like you and me wanted to help those families. The five families whose daughters had been killed and five other families whose daughters had been wounded. And the Amish took 
a large portion of the money that came in and they funneled it to the widow and children of the shooter. We sit back and we go, how do they do that? They, they interviewed in this documentary the, the, a local college professor who studied the Amish for his whole career, and he shared a conversation he had with one of the fathers of the victims, a man named Abner. So you can just imagine Abner's beard, you know. And he asked Abner, Abner, how do you define forgiveness? And Abner said these words, forgiveness is giving up my right to revenge. Giving up my right to revenge. You say, Scott, somebody hurt me. You know what? You have every right to claim revenge. I don't think it's abnormal. I think it's human. But if you want to be free from the pain, if you no longer want that moment to define your future, you're going to have to give up your right to revenge. Because like that woman who spoke at the trial of that Nazi killer, Claiming your right to revenge doesn't destroy them. It destroys you. Forgiveness is a choice that opens up our freedom. And it trusts that person to God that he can carry out justice there. That's why I would say to some of you, you've been believing this myth that you can forgive this person on your own. And some of you I've talked in the series, you've been carrying weights of unforgiveness for 10 or 15 years or longer. If you were going to forgive them on your own, you would have done so by now. You would have forgiven them and moved on. And that's why it's so important that, that we allow forgiveness to create these attitudes in us because we can't create that attitude in ourselves. We can't give ourselves that power. We need to surrender ourselves to Christ and allow his power to empower us to do what we cannot do on our own. So those are the four attitudes. Humility, empathy, mercy, and surrender. I also have four action items. And I called them action items because to call them next steps makes them sound, to me, just a little bit trivial or simple or neat. And what I'm about to walk you through, I'm just going to be brutally honest with you. It may be more painful than what you've already been through. I know, really good news today, huh? But here's the thing. Speaking as someone who's been deeply wounded, there is pain in your future no matter what. You can either continue to move forward in the pain and the toxic tox toxicity of unforgiveness and bitterness or you can go through the pain of forgiveness which may ratchet it up a few levels but on the other side of that lies freedom so pain for the foreseeable future or more pain on the route to freedom you get to pick Jesus is not going to make you forgive them I'm not going to make you forgive them it's your choice. But here's four action items that I believe from my life, from my experience, from those that I've learned from, from the scriptures, these are four action items that I think will lead you to freedom. The first one 
is to reflect on the specific ways God has forgiven you. Not general, thank you God for forgiving all of my sins. No, get real specific on the things you've done to hurt others. On the worst moments you've had. On the things that you've done where you get, what was I thinking? Because you have those moments in your life too, just like other people have that involve you. A few years ago, I, I wrote a, an ebook about forgiveness. And one of the things I talked about in that book was writing a thank you letter to Jesus. Many of us have written thank you notes to people. One of the things that helped me was writing a thank you note to Jesus and walking systemically through all the things he's forgiven me from. I don't know where to mail it when I'm done. So I saved the 49 cents. But that act allowed me to get crystal clear on just how much I'd been forgiven from. And it allowed me to humble myself and have empathy for that person because I was no different than them. If you want to learn more about that activity, there's a link at the bottom of your notes to where you can download that ebook online um, and you can find it there. In Colossians 3, Paul writes these words, bearing with one another, and if one of you has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. You've got to always keep that in mind, the forgiveness you've received as you think about forgiving others. Second action item. Admit the hurt and identify the person who hurt you. Admit the hurt and identify the person who hurts you. For a host of reasons, many of us have adopted the philosophy of it's no big deal. Didn't hurt me. Taking the high road. I'm going to be a good Christian, you know. And what that creates in our hearts is, is a suitcase that just won't close. And it's not clothes. It's wounds. And, and if this is your heart, I'm going to go a little bit at Nostradamus and predict your future. You're going to have a moment in the future where somebody you love somebody you deeply care about is going to do something very small and insignificant and you're going to punish them for all of this. Because you can't sit on this suitcase forever and keep zipping it up. Eventually it's going to explode. And that person who you love deeply, you are going to wound deeply for 15 or 20 years of wounds. That's why you have to admit the hurt that you need to forgive. God cannot heal who you pretend to be. And as long as you keep pretending that stuff didn't work and it didn't hurt you and it's no big deal and you moved on, you'll never experience healing there. You have to admit, you know what, that stung. You know what, that, that wounded me deeply. And it's only when you admit that and identify the person who hurts you in that place that you can experience forgiveness. The third action item is to write the person a letter of forgiveness. A letter of forgiveness. In your bulletin is a little card. It's a quarter sheet. It says at the top of it, writing your letter of forgiveness. Looks like this. If you'll pull it out of your bulletin right now, I want to walk through this with you. If you're watching online, there's a link underneath the video where you can click and it'll open in a new tab. 
the first step in this process is to address the handwritten letter to the person who hurt you. There's just something about writing this down that's more cathartic and powerful than typing it. You go, Scott, I've got bad handwriting. Don't worry, no one else is going to read this. The second step after writing dear and then their name is to write down each thing they did to hurt you and why it hurt you. We're going to have to admit the hurt and why it hurt. Then the biggest understatement of the day, this will not be easy and likely will be painful. But God can't heal who we pretend to be. So we have to face this. Use any ink except for red. So, because we're going to get to red in a second. There's no timetable for this. You could do this all in one day. You could do this in a series of days or a series of weeks. I'll let you decide how you want to go through this. The third step is to go through the letter you've written, offense by offense, and with red ink, write the following over the offenses. In the name of the power of Jesus, I choose to forgive you. Now, you don't write in the name of Scott, because I don't forgive you in the name of Scott. And I'm not going to forgive you in the, in the power of Scott, because I don't have that much power. No, I'm claiming the name of Jesus, which is where I've been forgiven. And I'm claiming the power of Jesus, which is the only way I'm going to forgive. After you've completed step three, destroy the letter. We recommend using a shredder or burning it. You could also shoot it if you want to. Because people in Prescott like to do that. Just make sure you use a high caliber so that it's actually destroyed. This act of destruction should be a powerful reminder of your intent to move forward. So you're not going to take a picture of it and tag a person in it. Post it on Facebook. We're, we're not doing that. And I'm going to do this this week. Because I've got somebody I need to forgive. So when you scroll through Facebook this week and there's a video of a shredder going, no one's tagged in it you'll know that I did this too. See, the myth is that that you're going to be tempted to believe the next day after you do this is that forgiveness is a decision. And you're going to go, I shredded it, it's done. But what's going to happen the next day is you may still have something there. Some hurt, some pain, some wound. And the truth is, forgiveness is a decision and a process. You're going to destroy that letter and have to continue to live that statement in the name and power of Jesus, I choose to forgive you. And you have to do that on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and Sunday and keep doing it. I've heard these stories. I I wrote a letter and I burned it and I I never had an issue again. Well, Lati freaking da for you, you know? (laughs) It doesn't always work that way. It's a decision and a process. And before I go on, one last little side note before we go to point four. Some of you are going to need to get help. Because you're going to need to talk to somebody about this. Because this opened up a hornet's nest. And you realize there wasn't one person you have to forgive. There's like five or ten. And there's a stigma in church and in culture that when you get help, it's a sign of weakness. No. It's a sign of strength. When you realize that what you have to do must be done, 
and you're strong enough to ask for help, that's not a sign you're weak. It's a sign you really care about being free. And the fourth step, this is probably the hardest one. Begin praying for the offender. Some of you think I've lost all my marbles. But if you've been forgiven, then I believe God is at work in your heart. And he's humbling you and creating empathy for that person. And so you're not going to condemn what they did. It's still wrong. It's still horrifying. It may still be evil. But you're going to seek to follow Jesus, who in that same sermon said these words. He said, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who's in heaven. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And so he calls us to pray for those who've hurt us. Now, just a little bit of warning for you, because this is like a truth-telling sermon. I have to keep telling you the hard truth. You cannot pray for someone without your heart changing for them. So if you don't want to forgive them, if you don't want to have the heart of Jesus for them, don't pray. Because your heart won't remain the same. Next week, we're going to talk about reconciliation. So the person who hurts you, I don't want you to call them and tell them, hey, I wrote you a letter today. No. I don't want you to be worried about, so what do I do next? This week, focus on this thing, and we'll tackle that next week. But I realize that one of the things I may have done over these last couple of weeks is to stir up all these questions that you have. What about this? And what about this? And what about this? And in your bulletin, there's also an index card, a blank one. And if you've got a question that you'd love for me to answer or that this is churned up for you, when you walk out today on your way to the lobby throughout each side, there's a table with a white bucket. And if you put your question in there, I will do my best to either answer it next week in my sermon or via our weekly Facebook Live videos that we send out in our newsletter on Thursday. Because I want to talk about this, not up here, but down here, where we actually live. I say this to you all the time, but I really mean it this week. I think I mean it every week, but I really, really mean it this week. I am praying for you that God would do some miraculous things. So let's pray. God, thank you so much for what you are doing in our midst. This is tremendously difficult stuff. But the only way for us to step into and enter into the freedom that you purchased for us on the cross is to deal with this stuff that stands in the way of us experiencing that freedom. And so many of us have been deeply wounded by other people and because of those wounds, we've remained stuck. We, we've been sidelined by the toxic power of bitterness and unforgiveness. And we know that the reason we've been forgiven is the miracle of your death and resurrection. And the only way we're going to find the power to forgive others is through that miraculous power transforming us. And so we pray that you would move in us in these days. That we'd look back on this time as a season when you began to move in a supernatural way. And we thank you and praise you in advance for what you're going to do and the ways in which you're going to set us free. In your name we pray. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.